you have a Bible, take it and turn to Luke chapter 4. We were in Luke 4 last week, and we're going to finish up the last part of Luke chapter 4 this morning. Really gets into uh, what you're probably used to when you pick up the Gospels and read it. Uh, stories about Jesus and what he did amongst the towns. And so I'm excited to uh, look at that this morning together. Uh, imagine for me, though, before we get there, if you will, just that you're sitting at home this evening and you receive a phone call, and it's someone from, let's say, the Courier Journal or uh, Wave 3 or someone like that, and they say, you know, we are we're running a new a new series of articles, or we're doing a new segment on the news, and we're calling it um, Louisville Lifestyles. And so what we'd like to do is come and, and just spend a day with you. Um, from the moment you wake up till you go to sleep, just sort of walk around and see what a day in the life of you is like. And most of us would probably say, no, you don't want to do that because it's pretty boring. <laughs> That's not something that anyone's going to read or anyone's going to watch. But let's say that they did. And if, if they did, if someone came and spent a whole day with you, they'd know something about you, wouldn't they? They'd know something about you based on what you said, uh, what you did, how you went about your daily tasks. They'd find out something about who you are because how you go about your daily life reveals something about, about who you are. What's great here in Luke chapter 4, 31 through 44, is that Luke, who is a great reporter, he gives us a feature article, and we could call it A Day in the Life of Jesus. That's what this is. This is A Day in the Life of Jesus. We're going to follow him from the early morning uh, into the evening, into the late evening, and then even into the next morning, and just kind of walk with Jesus and see what he does, see what a typical day in the life of Jesus would have looked like. And just as if someone followed you, Throughout your day, they would find out something about you. So, too, we're going to find out a lot about who Jesus is. There's different things that are revealed. We can see Jesus' kindness. We can see his devotion to prayer, devotion to the Father. We can see his love for people. But I think as we look at this, that what Luke really brings out is the power of Jesus. Luke makes it very clear that Jesus is filled with phenomenal power. I think that's the main thing he's trying to tell us. Jesus is filled with phenomenal power. Power. It's often seen as a bad thing in our society. I mean, whenever I think about power, I think about that quote which says, uh, power corrupts, and absolute power corrupts, absolutely. So power is something that people use to harm other people. But as we look at Jesus, who had phenomenal, who had absolute power, we see how wonderful it is that he is filled with this phenomenal, absolute power because it's aimed for our good and for his glory, and so in all of our weakness, we need the power of God. Let's read Luke 4, beginning in verse 31, and just note the authority and the power of Jesus in this passage. Verse 31 of Luke 4 reads, And he went down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee, and he was teaching them on the Sabbath, and they were astonished at his teaching, for his word possessed authority. And in the synagogue there was a man who had a spirit of an unclean demon, and he cried out with a loud voice, Ha! What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent, and come out of him. And when the demon had thrown him down in their midst, he came out of him, having done him no harm. And they were all amazed, and said to one another, What is this word? For with authority and power he commands the unclean spirits, and they come out. Reports about him went 
out into every place in the surrounding region. And he arose and left the synagogue and entered Simon's house. Now Simon's mother-in-law was ill with a high fever, and they appealed to him on her behalf. And he stood over her and rebuked the fever, and it left her. And immediately she rose and began to serve them. Now when the sun was setting, all those who had any who were sick with various diseases brought them to him, and he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. And demons also came out of many, crying, You are the Son of God! But he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak, because they knew that he was the Christ. And when it was day, he departed and went into a desolate place. And the people sought him and came to him, and would have kept him from leaving them. But he said to them, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well, for I was sent for this purpose. And he was preaching in the synagogues of Judea. Hopefully it stands out to you as you read that, that Jesus is filled with phenomenal power. And maybe you kind of caught the the day in the life sort of aspect, just the different places he was at, different times of day. So as we think about this, we're going to think about some different displays of, of Jesus' power, what we understand about that. Uh, and it, it opens with diff- some different scenes. So it opens here, scene one, we would say, is in the synagogue in the morning. In the synagogue in the morning, kind of like today, you might say. It's the Sabbath day when everyone gathers together. Um, as we saw last week, these events probably happened before Jesus went to Nazareth. This is just the way that Luke is ordering it for his purposes. But wherever it happened, this is um, just sort of Jesus's, uh, how, how what he does when he comes into a town. It's what he did in Nazareth, isn't it? He went into the synagogue and he preached. He, he, he taught there in the synagogue on the Sabbath. And he proclaims a message. It may have been something similar to what he proclaimed in verses 18 and 19 of this chapter, um, that the Lord had, that he was proclaiming the year of the Lord's favor, something similar to that, possibly. But he, he speaks. And what does it say? The response is verse 32, and they were astonished at his teaching. They are, they are amazed. They are, they are overwhelmed. They, they don't even know what to do with this. They're beside themselves. And why does it say that they are that way? If you look at verse 32, they were astonished at his teaching. Why? For his word possessed authority. They are overwhelmed. They are astonished because of the authority of his teaching. So concerning Jesus' power, the first thing we see is his powerful teaching. His powerful teaching. The word that he is saying has power. Uh, Mark one twenty two and there it says that his his teaching came with authority, not like the scribes. So it's said in contrast to the scribes, to the teachers of the law. Jesus is seen to have have power. The the rabbis of that day they would often um, pride themselves on not saying anything original. Uh, the sign of a good rabbi was that you could just quote lots of other rabbis and say, so Rabbi so and so says this about such and such, and Rabbi so and so says this about about such and such, and. Um, to be honest, it may have been somewhat boring uh, to sit in the synagogue and, and just have a lot of quotes. Uh, something you learn when you go to, to Bible college or to seminary is when you're preaching, don't use long quotes because people get bored. Um, every once in a while you break that rule, though. But I'm not doing it this morning. So, <laughs> um, But Jesus comes and he proclaims something original. It's based in the Old Testament scriptures, but he's saying something new. He's saying something with authority. There's not quotations around what he's saying as so-and-so says this, but he's saying this is what I say. We can even think about that in in, um, the Sermon on the Mount. 
The law says this, but I say to you. He's bringing this, this new teaching with authority, with power, and in a winsome way, such that people who had fallen asleep in synagogue for 20 years said, they, they perked up and they said, wow, this is totally different. We've never heard anything like this. He speaks with such authority. Isn't it interesting to note that before Jesus does any miracles, any healings, the people are astonished at his power because of his teaching, because of his powerful teaching. And, and even after the miracles, they're struck by his words. This is the core of Jesus' power. This is the core of his message. It's, it's not the miracles. It's, it's the words. It's the truth that he has come to teach. It's this message that he talked about, this message of good news to the poor, of liberty to the captives, and sight to the blind, and liberty to the oppressed. There is, there is power in this. This is why he said to be the word. He is the, the truth. He has authority in and of himself. On Friday night, we had a discussion at the youth group, and uh, Matt brought up uh, the, the former meaning of a word, a definition of, I think it was nice. Nice used to mean this. Um, and, and Jonathan said, I want a source on that. You need to cite the source, because, because Matt's not a linguistic authority, and Jonathan wanted the source. And so where did we go? Of course, someone pulled out their phone, and we went to Wikipedia, because Wikipedia... <laughs> Paul is shaking his head. <laughs> I'm sorry, Paul. That's just for you. Because <laughs> um, Wikipedia is, I mean, that's an authority, right? <laughs> but you, something that has authority, some, because man is not an authority, but we need to find a source, maybe dictionary. We'll go to an actual written dictionary. But So anyways, we're looking for a source. Well, when Jesus speaks, he is the authority. He doesn't need to cite a source because he is the he is the fountain of all of all truth, and so he speaks with authority. You know, it's amazing. We think about we, we live in a world that doesn't say anything with much authority. You know, to draw a clear line in the sand, no one no one really does that. You want to be open minded, and you want to um, you don't want to speak with authority because that's that's prideful and that's intolerant and it's and it's closed minded. And Jesus comes and he says. This is truth. This is exactly what the truth is. And he speaks with clear authority. And as I think about his powerful teaching, I just wonder as we, as we read a lot of what Jesus teaches, have we become so accustomed to it that we, we don't see the, the power of what he's saying? This is such bold claims that he makes. Have we lost our, our sense of wonder and astonishment at the power of what Jesus says, that he comes and he says, this is truth and I am the truth. And I think also, do we, do we proclaim the message with that kind of authority? Do we kind of dance around and say, well, this is what I believe Christianity says, and you can believe what you want to believe, but I think this is what truth is, maybe. Or do we proclaim it with authority? I think the irony is that these, these rabbis, they were always quoting other rabbis, and that was their source of authority. And Jesus comes and he preaches authoritatively from himself. We as Christians, though, in some ways are like the rabbis, aren't we? We just don't quote a lot of other rabbis. We just go to the source of all authority, we go to Jesus. And so when we speak with authority, we're not speaking from ourselves. As I stand up here, if I say something authoritatively, I'm not telling you, believe this because I say it. You definitely should not do that. But hopefully it's rooted in what God says. It's rooted in what Jesus says, the source of authority. And if that's where we're coming from, then we can say things with authority, and we can say the gospel with authority into a world that, that doesn't say much with authority. So we see, as far as Jesus' phenomenal power, first his, his powerful teaching. 
and I don't know when the next scene happens. Um, it, maybe it was in the middle of his sermon or maybe just at the end of his sermon or maybe it was during donuts and coffee after, you know, where people are mingling in the foyer. But, but suddenly, as everything is going well, someone cries out and the text here says, ha, I'm not sure exactly what the translation might be. Some people, some texts say, leave us alone. But there's just this exclamation. He says, the words that follow, what have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? Or even that could not be a question, it might be a statement. You have come to destroy us. I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Can you imagine that happening here? Someone just stands up and starts questioning the authority of the message that's proclaimed. I mean, what would we do? What would you do? What would I do? I'm not really sure. Um, but Jesus knew exactly what to do. Because not only was his teaching powerful, but we see his power over spiritual darkness. His power over spiritual darkness. We could say his power over demons, but let's say spiritual darkness. In the midst of all this chaos that would have arisen if that happened, if you imagine that happening here, it would be a little wild. It happens there. And what does Jesus do? It says when the demon, I'm sorry, verse 35, but Jesus rebuked him. And then Jesus gives two commands. Be silent, says to that man, be silent, be quiet, close your mouth, and second, and come out of him. Now, at this point, we, we don't know what's going to happen. Does Jesus have authority in this situation? What will happen? Imagine that you have a dog. Call the dog Rover, because that's a good name for a dog. And so your friends come, and you've taught this dog some commands, and you say to the dog, Rover, sit. And the dog does nothing. <laughs> And you say, sit, and Rover does nothing. So you say, well, let me try something else. And you say, speak, Rover, and Rover does absolutely nothing. And you say, Rover, speak, and Rover sits down. <laughs> At this point, you say, I have no authority over this dog because the words aren't, they're not accomplishing anything. So when Jesus says this, he can say it, but does he have authority? How do we know he has authority? It's so clear here. It says, Jesus says, be silent and come out of him. And when the demon had thrown him down in their midst, he came out of him, having done him no harm. When Jesus commands the demon to close his mouth, it's not like a dog that doesn't listen to commands. This this demon does exactly what he says. He says, be silent. And the, the demon is silent. He says, come out of him. And he comes out. He doesn't need any special incantation. He doesn't uh, need to repeat himself. He speaks and the demon obeys immediately. It happens right away. It's interesting to look at the, the increase in, in demonic activity. You read the Gospels and it's there's demons everywhere. As we go through Luke, there, there will be. And I, we'll talk more about that as we continue through the book of, of Luke. But it would seem that in some ways that at least that, that all the spiritual forces of darkness are aimed at this specific moment in time and this specific person, Jesus, that they recognize who he is. They know who he is. The demons know who he is. What's he say? He says, have you come to destroy us? And as I said, that could be a statement. You have come to destroy us. And that is what he has come to do. First John 3.8 says that he has come to destroy the works of the devil. That's one of the reasons that Jesus came. And the demon knew that that's why he had come. So he comes and he destroys. He has power to destroy the works of the devil. He's defeated him in this temptation. And he defeats the demon here in this situation ultimately what's jesus doing he's he's foreshadowing what's to come 
Jesus had come not simply to cast out individual demons. He had come to destroy the works of the devil. He had come to destroy and to exercise power over all spiritual darkness and ultimately over the spiritual darkness of of sin that causes death. And so this casting out of a demon is, is ultimately a foreshadowing to what he will ultimately do in the cross, that he will that he will make an open display of these rulers' authority. He will triumph over them. He will disarm them by the cross and by the resurrection. And so this this is just a a foretaste of what he is is going to do, and not only what he's going to do at the cross and at the resurrection, but what he will fully and finally do when he returns, that he will cast Satan into the lake of fire. And so this is just a, a small taste of what is going to come and even what is going to come in the further future. But there also is a sense, isn't there, that Jesus has power over all spiritual darkness? I spoke with a guy this week and he referred to someone's demons. He said this guy has not, he doesn't, um, he, he hasn't been able to deal with his demons. Have you ever heard that that phrase? It's just a phrase that I think refers to people that deal with Maybe it's addiction or just a, a sin pattern in their lives or, or wickedness that, that seems to con, to control them, evil, the sins that, that easily beset and entangle us. Do you ever feel that way, like there's just some sort of sin that, that keeps bogging you down and you can't get victory over whatever that might be? Like I said, I think ultimately what this is foreshadowing is what Jesus is going to do on the cross, but isn't there a sense in which Jesus has power over all spiritual darkness? That that if we are trapped in some sort of sin that continues to beset us, that we can say Jesus has power to release us from that? I wouldn't say that Jesus doesn't have power to do that, would you? Jesus has power to release us from all spiritual darkness. I'm not talking about demon possession here. We'll save that for another time. But, but the thing, the spiritual darkness in our lives, the wickedness in our lives, the sin in our lives, if you, you came in and you just feel like you continue to struggle with the same thing over and over, I think that what this text says to us is that Jesus has power over that spiritual darkness. Some of us have experienced that with our conversion. I love the testimony of my grandfather. My grandfather came to Christ, and when he came to Christ, he was an alcoholic. He was the definition of it. And the day that he became a Christian, he quit cold turkey. That's the power of Jesus in his life. Now, some people, it happens like that. It's a moment in time where it's an end. But others, it's a struggle for you for the rest of your life trying to conquer some specific sin. But I think that what this text encourages us with is that Jesus has power to release us from those things. It may be a daily struggle. It may not be something like that where it happens and then you never deal with it again. But it may be something where you wake up in the morning and you say, Jesus, you have power to conquer this in my life. I believe that. And then we walk into that believing it. So I just want to encourage you, if that's where you're at, to say, and maybe you're you're relying on your own strength, I would just encourage you to say, Jesus is the one that has the power, that as we rely on him through his spirit, that he gives us victory over spiritual darkness. So we close scene one. Scene one was in the morning in the synagogue, and service is over, and so what do you do after service? You go have lunch somewhere. So scene two is at Simon's house in the afternoon. I assume that they're having their afternoon lunch. Um, They go to Simon's house. It says in verse 38, he rose, left the synagogue, and entered Simon's house. So they start heading to to Simon's house, and as they get there, they find out that Simon's mother-in-law is ill. 
I don't know if this is something that happened that day or, or maybe it's been for some time now, but it says that she has a high fever. Now, this isn't like a 99.1 fever. This is like 103 fever. You know, This is a high fever. Dr. Luke makes it very clear. This is an intense fever. And so if you've ever had a fever that high, you know what it does, right? I mean, it lays you out. You cannot do anything with a fever that high. And that's, I think, the picture of what's going on here with this, with Simon's mother-in-law. She has this high fever. And so they arrive, and the people see this. They look at Simon's mother-in-law, and then they, they look at Jesus. They say, you know, he had power over those demons, I wonder. So they appeal to Jesus, say, Jesus, would you, would you heal Simon's mother-in-law? Verse 39, similar language, it says, He stood over her and rebuked the fever. Now again, what's going to happen here? Will the fever leave? What, does he have authority over this? What we see is that not only his power over spiritual darkness, but here we see his power over disease. His power over disease. Because he rebukes that fever and it says, It left her and immediately she rose and began to serve them. Now, you could really preach that, you know, when someone comes to Christ, that immediately the response is service. I think that's true. I'm not sure that that's exactly what Luke's getting at here. I think what he's saying is, this woman had a high fever. Jesus rebuked the fever, and she stood up and started serving people. I mean, again, take yourself back to that place of that high fever. You don't bounce right up off the couch and start serving your family afterwards. But Jesus rebukes that fever. And immediately she gets up. What power he has, this power over disease. Now, again, I think this is a, a foreshadowing of what he's going to do because what is Jesus ultimately giving? He's giving life. This is power over death. It's, it's power over disease, but it's also power over death. And at the cross, what, he, what does he do? He destroys death. And death still exists, and so we continue to look even further to the future when death will be no more. There will be no more sickness. There will be no more disease when Jesus returns. So this is a foreshadowing of that. But again, isn't there a sense in which Jesus does have power over sickness and disease in this life? There have been so many abuses of this that I think sometimes we shy away from saying that God can heal people. Do we believe that he has power to heal, that he has power over disease? Yes, we do. Now, we don't want to get too extreme with that. I totally understand that. But I think that we need to, to, to not let the abuses of, of healing rob us of saying Jesus has power over disease. And we're going to look more and, and think about if he has power, why doesn't he always heal? We're going to see that in a couple of weeks, actually. But just to at this point to say he has power over disease. And so as we think about physical ailments, as we think about just the weakness of our body, Jesus has power to bring healing to our body. He has power over disease. It doesn't seem, though, after this that, that he leaves Simon's house. Verse 40, we find that the sun is, is setting, and so I'd make scene three at Simon's house. This time it's not in the afternoon, it's late in the evening. The sun is, is setting, and as the sun sets, you can see silhouettes on the horizon, and they are bringing those who were sick with various diseases, those who were demon-possessed, and they all come out to to Simon's house late in the evening to see Jesus. And at the risk of being redundant, in this, in this section we see his power 
over disease and spiritual darkness. This is just, it's reiterated here. There's power over disease and spiritual darkness. These things that happened in the temple with the demon-possessed man and then with uh, Simon's mother-in-law, this wasn't a fluke. This wasn't just, you know, these couple things that happened, but rather everyone starts coming to him, and Jesus has power over all disease and all darkness. This isn't just a one-time sort of thing. Uh, It was a big deal yesterday here in, in Louisville, right? The Kentucky Derby. And Orb wins the Kentucky Derby. Now what's everyone want to know? Is he going to win the Preakness? Is he going to win the Triple Crown? You know, Is that just sort of a one-time thing? Or can he stand the test of time? Can he win it all? And here what Jesus is saying is, this thing in the temple, it wasn't just something I did once. And, and the healing that I provided to Simon's mother, that's not something that I can only do one time, but I power over all sickness, over all spiritual darkness. And so here it, you see the people coming to him. I, I love this picture. It says that they brought them. What a beautiful thing that people bring their friends. Um, I think there's a principle there as we think about interceding for others, praying for others, that we bring them before Jesus and ask that he would deliver and heal them. They bring them to him and he lays hands on every one of them and heals them. Not only is, is Jesus powerful, but he's willing. He's willing and he's kind. He's loving. He lays his hands on every one of them. I think about, you know, when sick people, when, when someone's sick, what do we do? We all kind of step back, you know, oh, I don't want to get near that person. If someone's demon-possessed, we, we would probably all back away. What does Jesus do? He steps to them, touches them, says, you're healed. Something interesting we have to talk about, though, right? Is this a question in your mind? Verse 41, the demons also came out of many, crying, you are the Son of God. Is that true? Yeah, so why does Jesus do this? But he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak because they knew that he was the Christ. Now, why is he telling them, stop saying that? They're speaking the truth. They're saying what's right. Even as James says, the demons believe and tremble. They understand who Jesus is, but he rebukes them. This is what's often called the messianic secret. Jesus is always telling people after he heals them, he says, don't tell anyone. I've I've healed you, now don't tell anyone what happened. Why is he doing that? It's hard to say exactly. In this situation, it might be that Jesus doesn't want demons as his PR relations. You know, but Does he want demons being the ones that proclaim who he is? I don't know that that, that would be the best thing in the world. That, that could be part of it. But ultimately, it seems that there's this, he doesn't want a, a misunderstanding. First of all, I'd say a misunderstanding about the focus of his ministry. There's going to be a lot of attention drawn to him about the focus of this deliverance from from demons, deliverance from disease, deliverance from present physical suffering. That's not the emphasis of what he's trying to say. Remember, where's the ultimate power? It's it's in his word. It's the message that he's preaching. And so there's this this misunderstanding of the focus that oh this he's a healer. You remember when they all come out to him after he had turned the, the, the he had fed the five thousand, they come out and they say, Hey Jesus, why don't you do a sign for us? Why don't you make some more bread for us? They they missed it. They didn't understand the focus, and so in part I think he's he's quelling it so that they understand this is not the focus, the message, the gospel, the, the truth. This is what the focus is. And not only that, but the timing. There's a there, there's something that's coming, but there's also something that's not yet here. Not only for, for Jesus, it's 
that he still needs time to do this ministry so that the time will come when ultimately he dies on the cross and rises from the dead. And even for us, there's this idea, as I said, there's deliverance from sin. There's deliverance from sickness. That's part of what Jesus brings to us. But is that fully and finally here? No. It's it's yet to come. This is the, the already not yet of the kingdom. Are there, he says in Luke 11, he says, if it's by the finger of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. The kingdom of God is here. Jesus brings deliverance. He brings healing. But yet, there's still sickness. There's still darkness in this world. And it will not be fully dealt with until ultimately Jesus returns. This is where we have to be careful. Yes, Jesus has power over all of these things. And yet, it's not promised in every situation that that's what he will do. In this age that we live, we're waiting for the full coming of the kingdom, when everything will be made right. So we need to be careful of abuses that say Jesus always heals every disease. That, that Jesus will, will fully deliver you from every sickness and every suffering that you are going through. That, that's true in the coming kingdom. And it's true in part in this kingdom. He gives us a taste of that kingdom. But not yet, fully and finally. So I think that's part of what he's doing here and part of the danger for us that we must be careful of. Recognize that he has come. He has brought this year of the Lord's favor to us. But what is the ultimate focus? It's it's salvation. It's that he has come to bring forgiveness of sins. It's come, that he has come to raise us from spiritual darkness and spiritual death. It's power over disease and spiritual darkness, ultimately pointing to the salvation that he brings. Now, it's hard to tell exactly when this night ended, you know. The sun was setting when they first started coming, it looks like. I think Jesus had a long night of, of healing and casting out demons. And it, it may be that they went straight on through till the morning. I, it doesn't really say that he sleeps here. It just says, verse 42, the next transition is when it was day. Um, so who knows exactly what happened, but it was probably a long night. And when it was day, we, we end up at scene four, which is in a desolate place the next morning. In a desolate place the next morning is scene four, verse 42. And when it was day, he departed and went into a desolate place. Here in this scene, we see the source of his power. The source of his power. Whenever Jesus is in a desolate place, he is he's communing with the Father. He's praying. He's seeking to, to find the source of his strength from his relationship with the Father. That, that there is this time that he needs to spend one-on-one um, -on -one with God, not ministering to others, but, but feeding himself. I think that's a good principle for us. I'm going to move quickly over it for the sake of time, and because it, it will show up again later in Luke. But scene five, then, is, is on the road later that morning. He had departed, he was in this desolate place, and the people seek him, they come to him. What does it say? They would have kept him from leaving them. They wanted him to stay. They said, Jesus, don't go. Stay with us. Why don't you actually, you can come be our pastor if you want. You can just stay with us forever. We see the power that you have. We don't want you to leave. But in the words that follow verse 43, we see the spread of his power. The spread of his power. He says to them, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well. For I was sent for this purpose. 
this message of the kingdom, this message of of power, power over spiritual darkness, the power of the good news of the gospel, the power over death. It wasn't something that was supposed to be contained within one city. It was something that was supposed to spread to the ends of the earth. Uh, this is a temptation we face, isn't it? Jesus, why don't you just stay with us? Will you just stay with us and bless us, be with us, come to our church, and we'll just kind of, we'll stay here, we'll close the, you don't have to go to any other town, you just heal all our diseases, you, you deal with all our sins, you, you make us better people, and, and we'll all have a good time together. And Jesus says, don't, I have to go elsewhere. I have to take this message to other towns. There is darkness, there is disease, there is, there are people that need help elsewhere. There are people that need to hear the message of the gospel elsewhere. This should be, we should follow in Jesus' footsteps here, shouldn't we? There should be people that, that don't simply say, we're going to keep Jesus to ourselves, but rather we say, we have been delivered, we have seen the power of God, and so now we go. We go to our neighbors and we go to the nations and we take this message of truth because there are people that are lost in spiritual darkness. There are people that are dead in their trespasses and sins. We go to friends and we go to enemies. We go to those that are like us. We go to those that are completely unlike us. Think about all the people that Jesus went to. Think about being surrounded by people that are sick all the time. Being surrounded by people that are demon-possessed all the time. It's not really a glorious ministry necessarily in our minds. That's who Jesus goes to, though. He goes to the places of need. This is what we must do. This is the call for us, to go in the power that he provides. We go, we go with confidence. We go with confidence that we, that we have the powerful message of Jesus. Think about the message. The message is powerful, and he has given it to us. We're to be ambassadors. So we go, we speak authoritatively in all situations, to all people, not because we have authority, but because Jesus has given us authority. Isn't that what he says? All authority has been given to me, and now I'm, I'm giving it to you, and I'm sending you to, send, to take this message to all people, to take the message. What's the message? It's a message of power. It's a power over spiritual darkness, a power over death, that, that we go into any and every situation, and someone says, you don't understand how bad I am. We say, it doesn't matter. Jesus has power to deliver you from that. You don't understand how dead, how sick I am in my sin. It doesn't matter. Jesus rose from the dead so that he can give you new life. We preach the message of the power of Jesus into people's lives. All the while, all the while we're drawing our source. What's the source of our power? It's this relationship with God through the Spirit that that's where the source of our power comes. But we also are all about the spread of the power of God, that it's not something we're keeping to ourselves. Preach an authoritative message. We tell people it doesn't matter how, how dark the place is that you are. It doesn't matter how dead you are. Jesus has power to bring life and health and resurrection to you. We find our source in the strength of the Spirit, and we tell anyone and everyone what Jesus has done. We go with confidence that Jesus is filled with phenomenal power, and he can bring light into any darkness, and he can bring life and into every disease and all death. We have confidence because of Jesus' phenomenal power. What an amazing man, what an amazing God, Savior that he comes, and this is who he reveals himself to be. This is the year of the Lord's favor that he's bringing in. And ultimately it's seen at the cross where he saves us, where he brings 
resurrection life to us. That's what we want to celebrate this morning as we prepare to take the Lord's Supper. And I, I just thought about some of my favorite verses in, in Colossians that speak to the cross and, and speak to it in light of of this passage. Colossians chapter 2, verse 13 says this. It says, And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses. That's that's the deliverance over sickness, isn't it? That he, we who were dead, he, he's made us alive. And then verse 14, by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with his legal demands, this he set aside, set aside all of our debt, all of our sin debt. How? Nailing it. To the cross, and in doing that, verse fifteen, he disarmed the rulers and authorities, the spiritual forces of wickedness. He put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. That's the message of the gospel that Jesus powerfully brings deliverance. He gives us new life through his death and resurrection, and he crushes Satan 